Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is Jack D. Schwager. Jack is a legend in the finance world, a very well-known author, fund manager, and industry expert in futures and hedge funds. He's famously known for his best-selling series of interviews with the greatest hedge fund managers of the last two decades, called The Market Wizards. Jack's first book, A Complete Guide to the Futures Market, is considered to be one of the classic reference works in the field, and was one of the first five investing books I personally purchased when I started my investing journey over 20 years ago. Please enjoy my thought-provoking conversation with Jack Schwager. Hi, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you are uh, quite a legend in the trading and uh, investing world, so we're extremely excited to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate it. So maybe uh, for those, uh, the very few minority that are, are tuning in of our audience that don't know who you are, maybe you could give, give us a quick uh, background introduction. Okay, so basically claim the fame with most of the world is having written the series of books uh, on great traders, which are part of a market wizard series. So that's how most people know me. I've also written analytical books. Uh, in fact, I just redid the very first book I ever did, which was a complete guide to the futures market. And um, that's more of a, that's kind of a, a bit of a different audience, maybe more, like I say, more analytical. Um, I've also done a lot of different things in my career. I'm old enough to have done, done a lot of different things. But I, that includes 22 years as a research director in derivative markets or futures uh, for various firms like Prudential and uh, Payne Weber, et cetera. I um, spent 10 years as a partner in a hedge fund advisory firm. And last couple of years, I've been involved with a startup called Fundseeder, which I guess we'll talk about. So that's kind of a very short synopsis. So two things uh, quickly. First of all, uh, your books, the Market Wizard books, I think, uh, and this is probably the case for a lot of people, it was like the, of the first 10 books on investing that I've ever bought were, uh, were, were two of them. And so, uh, so thank you for, for helping me so early on in my career. I just wanted to say that. And, uh, and secondly, I, I feel like uh, you were, you're almost like a very early version of what a lot of people are doing. And what this is, 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 is interviewing successful traders and trying to gain insights of it. And that was your model, it was, except it was, you were decades earlier. Uh, so you were somewhat of a pioneer uh, in that regard. Um, so uh, thanks for the introduction. And let's get into a little bit of, uh, maybe a little bit more of your background. So your, your latest book, uh, which is, I, I guess it's a, a updated version of, uh, of some of your old work. Uh, but you start off uh, very in a very interesting way because you have a chapter, I think, or an introduction that says the great debates, right, between fundamental and technical analysis. And this seems to be, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's like almost like a religion or, or politics where there's, there's heavy, heavy opinions on both sides. People get very, very uh, into this sort of thing. Um, now, interestingly enough, you, you actually, I, I believe you began as a fundamental on the fundamental side in that camp, but then at some point you switched over to the technical side. So maybe you could share with the audience uh, a little bit of your... Right. So it's like, I guess you could, you could 
think of it as I started as you know an extreme Democrat and ended up an extreme Republican. <laughs> so how much of a transition? And in today's world, that's a big transition. Um, so yeah, I, I come I come from an economics background, uh, and so back when I went to graduate school, you know, college graduate school, he didn't they didn't teach markets at all and and stuff like trading or you know, futures markets, that was unheard of. So I came into it strictly from just a basic economics background. And that biases you to think, you know, you, you look at the world, you look at any, any price uh, forecasting situation, you think of it as an economist in terms of fundamental inputs, you would never think of anything in the, the whole realm of technical analysis as a potential solution and insofar as you would even consider it or know other people are doing it, you would most like myself probably start out for bias, say, that's a lot of mumbo jumbo, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I can look at a price chart, is that, that's not analysis, right? Yeah. And sort of it's like, you know, reading entrails or something like that. <laughs> so that's, that, that's kind of the bias I came into, into it with. But as, as I was in the industry and I try, you know, fundamentals, I, I, there were a lot of problems that I had personally with fundamental analysis. Uh, uh, just a couple of big ones. Uh, one is that you can't collapse it to a small enough time frame. Really, fundamental analysis lends itself best to analyzing sort of on an annual basis, but to not, and maybe quarterly if you push it, but not monthly, not certainly not. I mean, in a month's time in markets, my God, I mean, a market could have a giant move in a month's time. So if, you, if your forecasting method is in a time frame which doesn't match that, it makes it difficult. So you may, have a, you may be able to develop a bias, this market is overpriced, underpriced, or whatever. But from a trading standpoint, it's hard to use as an effective tool. But the biggest problem I had with fundamental analysis is that intrinsic to fundamentals, the basic approach is an idea that the economics dictate a certain equilibrium value. And so if the value, if the market is above that value, then it's a potentially a short. If it's below that value, it's a buy. Now what happens if you're initially wrong? Okay, I, I believe market X is, a, is underpriced, it should go up, my fundamentals. I got all these other years where we have these, these uh, uh, relevant economics where the price would say from that experience, the price should be higher this year. So I go long, okay? Now, what happens if the market goes down and there hasn't been any dramatic shift in fundamentals? And fundamentals tend not to shift suddenly unless there's, you know, some like a hurricane or whatever for a crop or some major event. But barring, barring any sudden event, fundamentals change more slowly over time. So if the market goes against me, now what am I to conclude as a fundamental analyst? If it was a buy before, it's an even better buy now. Right. So ironically, inherent in fundamental analysis is not only an approach which is not complementary to risk management, but is in its very bones opposed to, to uh, risk management. Because it would tell you the more the market goes against you, the better the opportunity. Right. So that's logic. So that's very, very difficult. And as I was longer, longer I was in the business, I, I, I learned that if you don't have risk management, you just can't, you know, you're always fail. And so when I learned economic analysis, uh, sorry, technical analysis, and, and, and I learned that I should give credit here to, to someone who became a very close friend and unfortunately passed away, 
a year and a half or so ago, but a fellow by the name of Steve Kronowitz, and uh, he was an analyst. I told you I was a research director, and so I had a lot of analysts working for me, and he was the only technical analyst. And we actually shared an office, and he was a really good guy. He was a kid. He used to joke all day long, and we really got along great. But I saw of all the analysts I had working for me, the only one who was more right than wrong, you know, the only one who was actually making money on his recommendations was Steve. And he was the only one who was using technical analysis. So I would like to think I'm, I'm not a, you know, that I'm an open-minded person. So I you know, that's okay, Steve, you know, what's the story? How do you, and so by sitting next to him, I kind of learned, you know, what he was doing and how he looked at markets. And I understood the reason why, there is a reason why technical analysis can work. There's a very logical reason. And that is if you have a price chart or you have a price series, everything that anybody does in the world in that market is in there. Now, drawing information from that is a different story, but the price itself reflects everybody's actions. Mm. And therefore, it is not unreasonable to believe that if you're looking at something that reflects everybody's actions, that you can, you can draw some conclusions. Like, you know, physicists uh, doing particle physics, you know, they draw conclusions from the pathways of, you know, it's not they, they actually even may see the actual event or the particle, but from the pathway and, and interactions, they can draw conclusions. So it would seem logical in a similar way. You can draw conclusions from seeing the repercussions of everybody's actions on price. And so that's the logic. So once I, once I saw there was a logic, potential logic, and I saw that it worked, and most importantly, and this is the most important thing about the whole, the whole question of fundamentals versus technical. Technical analysis, quite the opposite of fundamentals, is naturally attuned to risk management. And because unless you're, uh, unless you're a counter-trend trader, uh, the more the market goes against you, the, the worse your analysis has been. And the more your approach should say, you're wrong, get out. Right. So, so, that's, and so those things are, that's what eventually transformed me from someone who started out 100% fundamental and ended up being basically 100% technical. Now, there are two places, I would say, where I personally find fundamentals have potential value. And um, one is in a broad, broad picture sense. So, and it's not even doing any analysis. It's doing almost nothing more than, not even back of the envelope. It's just a simple, simple concept. So if you take something like 2008, markets are crashing, right? They go down tremendously. You have markets like emerging, this is an Asia conference, so this is totally relevant. Emerging markets in, in 2008, even though they weren't a source of the problem, they got hit ironically, got, maybe not ironically, got hit much harder than, than the developed world yes. economies uh, and stock markets. So, uh, so in the U.S., the stock market may have gone down 50% that it's, at least face the S&P, and you know, many emerging markets went down a lot more than that. So, um, so you have these markets going down a tremendous amount. Now, and the other thing is commodities. So let's say basic commodities, copper, oil, whatever. All you have to say is these things are, you know, it's not like the world to stop using commodities. We're still going to basically need to eat. We're still going to need to be able, you know, whatever's going in the economy, these things are not going away. Now, if they've gone down, 70, 80% in the emerging markets, which are, which, 
you know, going down 70, 80%. It's not like they've gone back to the Stone Age. This is just like a tremendous overreaction. So in that sense, you can think of, well, this, this has to have value. You know, the, uh, uh, the copper market, if it's down 80%, you know, or metals or whatever, it, maybe, maybe it'll go down another, you know, maybe it'll go down 90%. But the point is, if you, if you hold that for some time, it's hard to think how the, the intrinsic value of it doesn't win out at the end. So in that type of situation, when you get extreme circumstances, mm-hmm. And you can see amazing overvalue or undervalue. Um, it's easier to do the undervalue because on the overvalue, there's no, there's no limit how high the market can go. So that makes it difficult. But particularly when, when, when you've got panics and markets get mm-hmm. overly uh, uh, depressed and you're dealing with things that have tangible, have tangible value. So I'd say in that sense, having a fundamental concept. Um, and I was there, I didn't go, I didn't go long, uh, you know, um, you know, ETFs in China and, and metals in late 2008 because of any technical analysis. Technicals were terrible. But I just basically, well, I did use technical analysis by looking at very long-term charts and looking where, where are the extreme bottoms of, you know, where are the extreme supports of these things. So, yeah, I may have used that to kind of pick a zone to go long in. But ultimately, the idea was really a matter of value. So that's one, that's one place where fundamentals are important. And ironically... And this is, again, my perspective. The second place I consider fundamentals potentially important is in a totally contrarian way. You know, fundamentals can be effective, but to me, in my, what I've experienced, is they're most effective when, they, when the market doesn't respond the way the fundamentals would imply it should respond. So um, if you have a situation where, um, where you have an event and the market should... Uh, should go down, and instead, it barely, you know, event comes out, it barely budges, and then starts going up. That could be important, you know, information. Right. So, so uh, it's from a contrarian perspective that I that I that I think fundamentals could be of value. Now, I'm sure, and I've interviewed people who use fundamentals in a more traditional sense, and they've done great. So, I'm not saying I certainly don't mean to imply that fundamentals can't work, but they. They have certain difficulties which I couldn't surmount, um, and but there have been people that I've interviewed who've become phenomenally wealthy on sure. fundamentals and not technical. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. I think um, to the point of uh, fundamentals and risk management, and this kind of so when you look at the sort of value investing camp, you know, I mean, there's like you said, there's plenty of people that have made an enormous amount of money and uh, you know their method of risk management usually is by baking in a margin of safety uh, this sort of thing and uh, and then taking advantage of like a 2008 when there's market dislocation then they've done their work and they're like okay I could buy this on the cheap however like you said very earlier uh, earlier in the talk the the time frame is is drawn out so as an investor if you are looking uh, for anything shorter than you know annual return, uh, it's very difficult because you literally have to sit on cash. If, if cash is your method of risk management for being a, a fundamental investor, then you could go years <laughs> with 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 just cash sitting around waiting for that uh, those opportunities. Whereas I feel like if you are a technician and you are able to uh, to reduce that that time frame investment horizon, then you're, you're able to trade a little bit more actively. And I think it's also a personality thing. 
a lot of people don't have the stomach or the the uh, the inoculation for fundamental and value investing. Uh, whereas you know technical analysis is is a little bit uh, you you might be I mean it's it seems like it's a little bit more almost rule based. So like risk management, a lot of famous macro traders you know they'll they'll just cut losses at twenty percent down or and get out. And so uh, for humans, basic human psychology, it I think it, it tends to work better. Um, so for technical analysis, uh, maybe you could give a very, very brief one on one because I know that, uh, you know, I've looked at charts before, but I think a lot of people don't look don't do it properly. So, uh, you know, again, like timeline, how long are you supposed to, you know, different assets? How do you know how long the chart is? Something that that forms a pattern on a short uh, amount of time on that scale could be completely different when you expand the timeline. Absolutely, so. yeah, absolutely, yeah, you know, absolutely. So the picture, the picture, you know, like the old cliche, you know, the blind man with the elephant, you know, one touching the trunk, one touching the, it depends on which part of the elephant you get a totally different picture. So you know, if, it, if you're talking about traditional chart analysis, if you're looking at a at a, at a three month chart. Uh, versus looking at a three-year chart versus looking at a 30-year chart, pictures can be totally, totally different. So my own, you know, I come more from an old classical chart approach. My feeling is, and what advice somebody says, if I want to try chart analysis, how should I do it? Well, among many pieces of advice, but one piece of advice is start with the very long-term charts and then work your way down in time frame. And um, now there's people who, who just work, who trade intraday and they use, I don't know, 60 minute charts or 15 minute charts and trade on that and somehow make that work. But I believe it's important to start the longer perspective. So you know where you are in the basic, you know, are we, are we sort of near, uh, you know, an area where the market has held multiple times in the past? Are we near an uptrend of a range? Or how far have we gone from without some sort of reaction? You know, just to get the big picture in it. So I would go from, from a 15-year chart down to, to, you know, maybe five years down to one year. And so maybe then, only then, down to three months, maybe, you know. So, um, I, so that time frame, I think, they're all important. And I'd go from, from long uh, to short. And the best trades, I think, occur when everything works out. Mm. You know, when, when the long-term chart, let's say, well, if a long-term chart say, hey, this is an area the market should be holding. And then the you know, I, and you get similar messages, and then on a shorter term chart, you see the market has held and is starting to turn up, and has got a certain pattern where you can find getting in with a reasonable risk. So when everything works together, that's usually the best uh, uh, the best approach. And also, there are things such as things support and resistance, and a lot of times, multiple time frame charts can give you a zone where each of the charts is giving you a support level, let's say, in the same area. That adds, in, to my mind, more reliability to the to that type of interpretation. So, so time frame, I'd say across the board. Is there a? I mean, there's a there's a bunch of of sort of uh, you know commonly used technical uh, tools or, or patterns, I guess, when you're looking at charts. Are there a handful that were your sort of go-to ones? I mean, you, there's there's tons, right? Uh, of yeah. different patterns and formations that you can see. What are some of the top one, like handful that, that, uh, that you've used uh, successfully in the past? 
Well, you know, my personal bias is to various types of consolidation patterns and uh, what do they imply, which way should the market come out of it and stuff like that. So they're, they're good also because they, you, can define, you can define where to get out basically mm -hmm. without having a huge risk of that type of trade. But the most important thing for me is, and actually let me make this clear, it's not that chart analysis is, has a great percentage of accuracy if you use it. Of course, everybody's going to have a different interpretation. But it's not that charts are that reliable. They're not, chart patterns are not that reliable, particularly with so many people using them. What's really important is not the pattern, but how you interpret it. And I have a chapter, in fact, in the, in the analytical book, I have a chapter which I call, I think, something along the line, the most important rule in chart analysis. Right. And the most important rule in chart analysis, if you have a pattern and you get the market going in a direction where the pattern, let's say, is bullish, and then the market fails, uh, that failure, that failure pattern is more reliable as an indication of where the market's likely to go than the, than the pattern itself. So that is something very important to understand. And I think people who do use charts successfully probably exploit that idea that it's not so much the pattern, but yes, you can, you can use the pattern to get initial bias, but you always have to remember that the failure of a pattern is potentially more significant than the pattern itself. That's really interesting. Uh, I think that, I, I guess it's, in a way, it's, it's just like investing in, in general, whether it's fundamental or technical, whichever side you're on, it's a constant uh, reviewing of assumptions and building conviction one way or another. So all these, all these pieces, data points out there, patterns, charts, uh, it kind of has to add into your bottom line view, your interpretation. And, uh, and again, you need to, like you said, you need to know when the, when the red flags pop up and, and potentially you could be wrong. And then the sooner that that happens, you could employ sort of uh, risk management metrics, right, uh, to get in or right. out of the trade. So it really has, has a psychological uh, implication too. Because when you think about it, what a failure means is most people using the charts are now in one direction of the market. You know two things. They're on one side of the market and two, they're losing money. And so <laughs> there's a reason why failures should be more important than the actual pattern itself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, when you were trading in the past, you did a lot of work mostly with uh, futures, right? And, um, so, and you also wrote probably one of the most prolific books on, on trading futures uh back in the day um so can you maybe give us a quick uh futures 101 uh if you will and, and what the differences are between sort of trading the future versus trading the underlying there's also again different camps uh there and why you chose to to uh, express your investing via futures versus say an underlying security well the futures is not so much it was a choice it was it just happened to my first job out of graduate school happened to be as an analyst in the futures markets. So if it happened to be as an analyst in the equity market, <laughs> probably trading and writing about equities. But the thing about futures, uh, well, those people who trade them don't need me to tell them anything. But for those in the audience who, to, who don't who maybe know what futures are but haven't traded them or whatever, the, the big thing, there's a couple of big things about futures. One is they're extremely liquid. Uh, and these are the key items that I would say. One is they're extremely liquid. So it's very easy to get in and get out, you know. Second is that it's as easy to go short as to go long, mm. which is not true of equities by any means. Yes. So 
So the thing is, insofar as markets can go in two directions, it's kind of nice to have an instrument that does not bias one side to the other. And also, for those people who don't know futures, there's always an equal number of contracts, long or short by definition. So you always know in any futures market you're going into, half the money is in your side, half the money is in the other side. But what that means though, it explains why, it's, why it makes no difference whether you're buying or selling. It's equally easy to go in both directions. And the third thing I would emphasize about futures is they are really, they are all the markets because trading equities is equity markets, trading bonds is bonds, and trading currencies is currencies. But the thing about futures, you could trade, you could trade equity indexes, you could trade bond, interest rate markets all over the world, you could trade current, all different types of currencies, you could trade commodities like you know, metal type of commodities, energy commodities, agricultural commodities. Um, so it's just basically the range of all assets, almost all assets, uh, are reflected, uh, at least liquid assets, are reflected in the futures market. So there's a big range of markets you can be involved in, more so than in any single market that's on its own. So for the, uh, I guess for the um, average investor, let's say the non-institutional grade investor, maybe a high net worth guy, or maybe just a uh, enthusiast that wants to get into sort of the futures market. I mean, your, the, your book that you just uh, that revised, I guess, is a pretty good uh, complete guide, so to speak. Uh, you also uh, include some trading systems in there. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I did include some trading systems. They were more included, the whole subject with technical analysis, we're talking more charts, but technical analysis really can fall into two broad categories, chart analysis and trading system-oriented, rule-based rule -based, uh, trading. And in the, the assumption of being rule-based, it's going to be computerized because it's more efficient. So uh, to explain, there are a lot of things that go, go into that how, how do you test systems? How do you avoid uh, misleading yourself about you know, testing systems? People go wrong all the time. They don't understand proper methodology of testing. They, uh, they have hindsight in their results and don't realize it. So the whole thing that goes into that. But also the idea of how do you build a system? You, so what I did is I kind of, in the book, I kind of provided a few systems just showing as examples of how here, here's, a, here's a pattern. Let's take this pattern and see how you might build a trading system around the pattern. And so that's what it's like. It's not done, uh, and I go out of my way to say, this is not, I'm not saying this is, here's a system, go trade it, you'll make 100% a year. In fact, I go out of my way to say, I don't even know what it's going to do. That's not my point. My point is to show you a logical way of how to construct the system. And hopefully, you'll find your, you'll have your own ideas, and then you can use the same type of methodology to construct and test the system. But I'm not trying to kind of sell or promote any particular system. Right. I'm out of providing people with the tools and understanding how to develop their own system. Right. Which is which is the most important thing uh, I think for for any investor. Um, so for the audience watching, I highly recommend you you hop over to uh, Amazon or or wherever your uh, your favorite uh, book retailer is and uh, pick up a copy. Uh, it's like 700 pages and it's a complete, complete guide. Um, and it's, it's very, very thorough. So I encourage everyone to, to go and pick that up. Now, Jack, you're working on something pretty exciting. Uh, 
called Fun Cedar. So I want to uh, switch gears and talk about your exciting new project. Well, I guess it's not new. You've been at it for a couple of years now, but um, right. uh, maybe you could uh, share with the audience what you're working on. Sure. So Fun Cedar, first of all, I'll give it credit where it's due. It's founded. The person who had the idea is my partner, Emmanuel Valari. Uh, I actually know him from, uh, I was a consultant for a portfolio consultant for his firm. And uh, that's how we know each other. Anyway, he got this idea, he pitched it to me. He said, and the idea is this, and this is what Fun Cedar is. His idea was the way the asset management world is developed, it's all the big hedge funds manage like 90% of the assets. And if you're a talented trader somewhere, your, your chances of getting money are zilch, particularly if you're not, a, particularly if you're coming from, you know, if you're not in the US or Britain or whatever, and you know, you're, you're in some uh, emerging market or, or second tier market, there's not a financial market developed, there's no investment bank. You could, you could develop a great system and be able to, and you're making money and nobody will pay any attention to you, right? You know, so you, you could be, a, you're let's say a mathematician somewhere in Eastern Europe and you come up with some methodology that is consistently making money with reasonable control and you're actually building up your own account and you're doing well. You know, if you try going to, to, to somebody, some asset allocator and say, yeah, I got this great system. Yeah, you and 500 other people who email me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got no, no chance. Uh, so uh, the idea was to take the power of the web, develop a central place where people from wherever they are in the globe, as long as they could trade, if they did have any trading talent, could link, link their account to the site. And that site would daily update it. And basically one of the key things about the site is it take, gets the results, not from the traders, but directly from the broker. And so uh, you develop a real-time track record. And also we provide the, the traders with all sorts of analysis. You know, you could do, of course you could chart your equity curve. You could do stuff like uh, underwater chart analysis, uh, all sorts of stats on your performance, rolling indicators on your performance compared to benchmarks. You can even apply technical analysis to your equity curve and see if, if getting out when, when you get a technical signal uh, would, would make your equity curve look better, you know, stuff like that. So there's all sorts of tools on there which are to entice traders to link up to the site. But what we're trying to do is to discover undiscovered trading down. That's what our goal is. And on a separate sister site, which we're developing now, will be the investor side. And um, we will use the traders the database we're developing on Fundseeder to uh, part, part, we have already partnered with, with Valley. In fact, there's a, uh, uh, since it's an Asia conference, I should, should give a shout out to one of our partners, uh, who's not only partner, uh, not only an investment partner by having invested in our company, but actually we'll be using our product uh, for investment product is, uh, is OPIM, uh, Oriental pa uh, Patron. So they're, they're you know, integral, uh, they're now an integral component, but they are, they are one of the major ones, but we're also the partner with other investment partners. And so ultimately the trading talent that's found at fundseater.com will have an outlet for worldwide investors who are looking to allocate to new trading talent. So that's the idea, to act as a connection between undiscovered trading talent and allocators looking to find that talent. That's pretty exciting. And so you're, but the platform, just to be clear, the platform is not a broker. 
Yeah, this no, wouldn't, no. Right. it's not a broker. So first of all, there's no, we don't charge any subscription fee. We are not a, we are not connected with, uh, you know, sort of broker agnostic in that respect. Uh, we, uh, you know, so there's no brokerage connection whatsoever. We, in fact, fundseeder.com is just a technology site. Hmm. It's an analytical platform. The traders can, can have their, you know, daily, their data updated daily. They can run analysis on their uh, data and so forth. But because we have visibility, they can also know that ultimately if they want to manage money and they're good, that, that's, that that data will be looked at by people looking for, uh, for new talent. So if I'm a, let's say I'm a, um, you know, a, a scientist or, or someone in some obscure emerging market that I'm, I'm sitting there trading my, my, uh, my own portfolio and I'm using, a, say, a company like Interactive Brokers or something just to do my right. trades, uh, how would I have to mimic that portfolio and the trades with on Fundseeder to, to do the portfolio? No, you would actually do. Let's say you have an Interactive Broker who is one of our partner, you know, one of the brokers that we integrate with. So let's say you have an interactive broker account. Uh, you basically just go into front seater. You click, you know, set up an account, you know, so fill in the uh, prop steps. And for every broker, there's going to be different instructions. So for the interact, if you've indicated my brokers, interactive brokers, then you'll get a set of instructions. Okay, you're interactive. Here's what you do. It'll generate, in most cases, I believe for interactive brokers as well, uh, some sort of message to your broker saying, that uh, you want to authorize the linkage and within, depending on a broker, within a few days or a week or whatever, the, the, the account gets linked. Now, once it's linked, then, uh, and it depends on the broker how much past data, I think Interactive Broker is good about this. I think your past data gets, gets uploaded as well. But so, but every day thereafter, your data gets updated. And then you have your, you can log in, you can see your account, you can do analysis on your account, and uh, there's also a leaderboard, so so accounts are ranked about by performance. You can see how you compare to other people. Um, there are also indexes that are that we've constructed that use the best performing accounts to construct an index. Interestingly, those and those indexes have been constructed not to use hindsight. So <laughs> index is is based upon the algorithm we use to pick the uh, best performers as of the end of one month are then used to generate the performance of the next month. So I've gone out of my way when I designed this. Um, and I say I, because when it comes to the analytical, like the indexes, that's kind of what, that's, that, that's my role. There's three partners in this, in this, uh, in Funsy, the three founding partners. So Emmanuel was the one whose idea, and, he, and he's the main business guy, and the promoting guy, and he's found our partners and so forth. James Bivings is, uh, is our uh, compliance and, uh, does, a, does all, all sorts of things related to the business side, and I'm the analytical person. So anyway, the indexes were deliberately constructed not to use any hindsight. So the best performance of month one then become the performance of month two, and then that's redone at the end of every month. Interestingly, those indexes have been really doing quite well, um, better, than, better than the world market. So uh, at least so far, it seems like the traders who have done well up to any given point, have as a group continued to do, you know, better than indexes uh, going forward. Empirically now, just that's been the case so far. I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a brilliant idea because I think any, any investor uh, 
no matter how big or small, at some point in their investing career has thought, hey, you know, I want to go out on my own. I want to start building my track record. And this probably the second hardest thing after consistent returns and building your track record and performance is marketing your fund, raising AUM. So it's funny, you, you said, unless you're a hedge fund, even for hedge funds, it's hard to raise yeah, AUM, well, let alone. It's, it's marketing is one being, you know, raising the money is a tremendous obstacle. But for many cases, another big obstacle is just the cost of setting up a business. You know, just the, just the basic cost. And, and it's not a, it's, no matter how good you are, for many people, they just don't have the capital to do that. Uh, so another thing are fund seed investments will be structured. In fact, James Bibbing's our partner. Uh, he has a, he has another he had a company, Turnkey, where his whole business was helping people set up uh, new, you know, new, new, new funds and new trading businesses. So he has that line of experience. And one of the things that Funsy Investments will be doing will be actually helping people, hey, I just, I just want to trade. I don't want to set up a business. I don't want to raise. I just want to trade. So one of the great things will be that we find people who really are good traders, the opportunity is there for all they, that's what they want to do, that we can structure, you know, Frontseed Investments, can, which is a separate company from Frontseed Technologies, for legal reasons, we need to keep those separate. But Frontseed Investments then uh, will, can, can structure the business, allocate the money, and of course there's a fee split, and, but that's, that's, that's the business idea. So it's very possible that people who have uh, a trading methodology that works, to just focus on that. In fact, we believe that's the best way to go. Sure, sure. And literally, they, yeah, if you can outsource the back, back end of it and all the legal and compliance, and, and essentially it sounds like it's, you're stripping out, it's like the prime brokerage platform, but you're just stripping out like the cap intro and marketing piece, which is, which is a big portion of it. And you would never have access to that sort of you can thing. thing now, you can think of it as a web-based uh, prop firm. You know, right, way. right. Uh, so the site's live, and uh, have you guys, you guys are officially launched and, and live? Yeah, we launched. The, so the FunSeater technology, FunSeater, which is FunSeater.com, the trader side has been in place, and, you know, we still have other tools we add over time, but now we're beginning, uh, we're developing the investor site now. So the investor site now, FunSeater Invest, is basically a landing page. The platform isn't there yet. But the, the, so the analogous platform on the trader side which will provide all the analytics and managers, which allow allocators to put their own managers into the, into the database as well so they can compare them to our managers uh, to be able to put together portfolios using either our managers or their managers or both. That, that platform is currently being developed. Uh, so uh, hopefully within the next, in fact, I was just out, we were, the whole team, uh, we were out, uh, few months ago, our, our technology team is in Ukraine. So we were there kind of going over, I, I designed the, 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 how, what this platform, you know, what's going to look like, how it's going to be. And so now they're translating that into code. So that's being, that's being done now. And hopeful that within the next four to six months, the investor platform will be there. So when you ask if it's there, the, the, uh, the trader side's been there, is there, uh, and the investor side, is there's a landing page you can go in, they can say they're interested in finding traders, and we're kind of doing that uh, in a non-computerized way right now, but um, the actual platform as a working platform should be there in less than half a year. 
That's exciting. So hopefully there'll be your first uh, sort of funding transaction uh, by Q1 next year, right? Yeah, we're looking where, you know, our windows, we're really looking to, to gear up. We, we felt it was important to first develop, you had to get the, you had to get the, uh, the basic ingredients, which are traders, you know, traders who can uh, trade before you build. It doesn't make any sense to try to find allocators. <laughs> That's right. So it made all the sense in the world to just focus entirely on the trader side for the first couple of years. But now, now it makes sense. <clears throat> of course, the um, revenue model depends on the investor side. So, so now we're turning to that. And yeah, so uh, within the next, I'd say, you know, six to 12 months, we should begin in earnest, uh, you know, getting through it, through investment partners, uh, beginning to allocate to people found through the front seater technology side. Very exciting. And I love the leaderboard because investors, traders are intrinsically very competitive by nature. Yeah. And so that's, that's very smart that you put that on there. Um, well, Jack, it's been such a pleasure uh, having you on and, and thank you again for your time. Other than uh, fundseeder.com where we can learn about your new venture, where are some other places that uh, our audience can find you or follow you or connect with you and learn about what you're working on? Uh, well, I have a personal site that I don't frankly do much with anymore called jackschwager.com. Um, and, uh, but fundseeder.com is, is the main, my main uh, interest and uh, focus right now. And you know, for things like books or whatever, probably just as easy, just put my name into Amazon and just go from there. It's probably That's right, yeah. All right, sounds good. Uh, thanks again for your time. And we're looking forward to, uh, to, to the exciting uh, Fund Cedar uh, project. I, I can't wait to, uh, to hear when one of the traders gets funded for the first time. In the yeah, well, I think we've had, some, you know, we've had some small fundings, you know, like I say, about the major site being in place. So we've already begun that process. But it hasn't begun in earnest. And like I say, my guess is six to 12 months out from now is when we'll start gearing up. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jack. Take care. Thank you very much. Enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All of the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at J. Kimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.